and welcome to the most excellent 80s movies podcast. It's the podcast where a filmmaker and a comedian navigate their way through the 80s movies we think we love or might have missed with these our modern adult eyes to see how much compliance there is and or how well they hold up. This is Flight of the Navigator, a movie selection from 1986. David, what time did you enter the woods? Around 8 o'clock. Then what happened? Then I reached this cliff. It's transmitting an alpha wave with complex frequency patterns in the mind. And I knew I'd fail. It's 1986, man. Eight years since that night. This is totally rad. I mean, you're my big little brother. Take a look at this. Where did this come from? From the mind of a 12-year-old boy. He's hurt. He's calling me. His voice keeps calling. Saying something over and over and over. But I can't understand. much synthesizer so much synth um hi i'm chrissy uh lens the uh comedian for this podcast and director at the neighborhood comedy theater in uh downtown mesa arizona and um here with me to navigate this movie is nathan blackwell filmmaker of squishy studios well hi (laughs) uh was this a favorite of yours is this something you had watched a lot uh yeah um uh first off uh thanks uh glad to be on the podcast yeah um <laughs> yeah this is uh i would uh, i would not call this a childhood staple although i totally did see it uh i saw it, i remember seeing it in the theater and i'm sure i probably caught it at least once or twice again on tv yeah, I, I feel like it was on TV a lot and or we were just like given this VHS tape. They were like, your children take this VHS tape and just watch it. Like, I feel like it was just on a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but as familiar as I thought I was with this movie, there was a lot I was watching and going like, oh, OK, <laughs> this all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we start the movie with the first of several big UFO fake outs, right? So we see this like silver disc just like floating through the air of a city. And we're like, oh, okay, they're just going straight to the UFO business here. And it's quite a long time before they reveal that what? It's a fake out. It's a frisbee. And uh, we are at the Frisbee Dog Championship. Yeah, it, 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 I wrote down, it's like, judging on the first two minutes, this movie is only about dogs. Yeah, So because, yeah, it's all about dogs. They're jumping, they're catching Frisbees. Um, we meet our hero, David, and his dog. Um, and they're just like, you know, we meet his family. They're out for a lovely Florida pre- Fourth of July celebration to watch their dogs catch frisbees. He fights a ton with his brother, but we like meet their like idyllic sort of life. His parents seem great. His house seems nice. The i the ideal Southern Florida life. Yes, yes, of course. Um, so we know that his house is his house, and it's completely like you can't mistake it for any other house because it has these like these glass bricks that we were so obsessed with in the eighties and the oh, early nineties. Yes. I love those. Yeah. They're like, we need to like, people would go nuts for those today. If we started like incorporating them into our, into, like ironically, but unironically into architecture mm -hmm. now, like people would lose their minds. I bet they're really bad for like Phoenix style weather. I bet they let in so much heat. Yeah. Cause they're just glass bricks they're like maybe eight by eight square glass bricks that are hollow mm -hmm. and they're just nuts so we get a really nice intro to him and his family right like they're getting ready to go to the do their like evening firework boat extravaganza like we get a nice moment with the dad where he's like here's how you talk to girls and he, then he goes wandering in the forest to go pick up his brother from his brother's mm. friend's house is that what was happening yeah th th this movie is just only like uh, four years after et you know yep. and, and any movie takes like one or two years to make minimum you know and so this is definitely has a lot of et like dna in it you know like the kid who finds a friend and the scientists trying to unravel it in like the forest at night with a lot of like mist and backlighting and things like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and even the kid looks like e the kid from E.T. Like I've mm -hmm. always thought, but there's, so there's the kid actor who plays E.T. And then there's another actor who looks exactly like him. <laughs> Do you know who I'm talking about? One of them is Henry Thomas and one of them is not. Yes. And this kid is like falls into that category and they all look like Peter Brady. Mm -hmm. So it's just too much similarity for me. It's too confusing. There is a moment, though, where he's walking in the woods with his dog and he says, I just don't know what I want out of life anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, yeah. as, but then he continues, as a young dog, you may find that hard to understand. <laughs> I'm just like, this is the best line of the whole movie. Uh -huh. um, we get our second UFO fake out. It's a water tower. We know this UFO thing is coming. Yeah, um, there was also there was also yeah, there was also a, a blimp that startled everyone. 
yeah. on the planet. Yeah, during right. the dog. Uh, just, everyone stops in their tracks and you know the shadow draws across and then all the adults like grab their kids and then they look up and it's a blimp and it's like oh <laughs> as much as a blimp can sneak up on you am mm-hmm. i right well it was the 80s i mean blimps man oh i came out of nowhere um and then like he just like sort of falls down his brother sort of scares him and uh he falls down and then he gets up and walks back to his house and there's a nice mm-hmm. older couple there in their like evening smoking jackets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not to, um, not to, to crib from a, um, a more successful podcast, but I do feel like there's an argument to be made that this might be a Jacob's ladder scenario. Yeah. He just falls, breaks his head. And then everything that takes place afterwards is completely just in his mind as he's dying from a coma. Yeah. I no, I 100% agree with you. Um, <laughs> because I, it's not like there was a bright light. He just kind of like falls and passes out in a misty pit. Yep. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel like we needed just some kind of extra little thing other than him passing out. Yeah. Like if we had seen the ship, like a glimpse of the ship. Yeah, and so so w- the reason why I bring this up is because what has transpired in his unconsciousness is that he has actually been picked up by a spaceship and then deposited back eight years later. Yeah, and so th- there's a little bit of confusion that we will get into later, which is that the you know the eventual um, creature that operates the spaceship says that he drops everybody off back where they came from but he didn't do that with this <laughs> poor kid he's like oopsie yeah. doopsie oh he got fried by some wires and so anyway so the kid goes into his house and he's just like you're not my mom you're not my dad but this is our distinct 90s glass brick so <laughs> this has to be mm-hmm. my house and mm-hmm. Uh, luckily he's in no danger. He just sinks to the floor that they're not afraid of him. Cause he's just a, you know, a white child. And, uh, um, he gets taken to the police station mm-hmm. and there's a fun bit of mystery because we, as the audience aren't supposed to know yet that it's been eight years or whatever. They're like, we're trying to figure out who you are, kiddo. This missing persons thing can't be right. And they drive him up to his parents' new house, and like the years have been hard. Mm-hmm. Mom, why are you so old? <laughs> what? Dad, what happened to your hairline? Why is your skin so jaundiced and pale? Like, why don't you look happy at all? Um, and we find out he's been missing for eight mm-hmm. years. Yeah, and it's taken a toll on it the really family. Has. Yes. You know, it, it, it's um, everyone is morose. Um, the, obviously, their standard of living has decreased. Um, and yet the brother, who is now, what, like 17 or so? Mm. He's like an older teen, like clearly has a sense of style that could not be um, dampered by his missing brother. Because he is wearing very, very sassy 80s mm-hmm. um attire with like you know 
big sleeve shirts with them rolled up. Like he's looking good. He's taking care of himself. He he was not maybe as uh, depressed as the rest of his family right. at the loss of his brother. Yeah, I, I feel like if there's a message in this movie is that if you do lose a child, you just got to get over it. Yeah. You know, don't let it affect your life. <laughs> They're going to come back in a spaceship. Uh-huh. So he keeps saying to like, I, I, something is calling to me. Something is calling to me. And somehow he gets hooked up with the people who have found Dr. Faraday, who has found the space walnut elsewhere. So they've got these two separate parts, the kid who's been missing for eight years and hasn't aged and the space walnut. Yeah. And and I feel like the most interesting distinctive part of this movie is, is actually the first part. I found that the most fascinating probably as a kid and then rewatching it now is the idea of that you have missed eight years of your life, you know, and your, your parents are older. Your younger brother is now older and you're out of step. That was to me the novelty of this movie, rather than the oh, I've got a space buddy and let's go adventure, which is a little more generic, you know, a little more kind of like in ET's footsteps. Mm. And you are absolutely right about that. And that's why we watch these movies as adults, because as a kid, I do not remember anything of this first part of Uh the movie, except for that when he gets to NASA, they shower him with toys. Mm hmm. Like he has to like NASA, who, by the way, NASA has like the most branded cars, the most branded vans. Their building says NASA in like huge, huge letters. There's nothing secret or surreptitious or covert about this version of NASA. And yet they have like terrible like employee hiring practices like Sarah Jessica Parker is just like full on like has no loyalty to the organization know that the room that she's in is being monitored has no problem like breaking uh, what I assume is an NDA and and (laughs) to to deliver mail so she's got like a canine like from Doctor Who style robot which is to deliver mail and they're like just letting her go in top secret rooms. He's not getting any mail. (laughs) He's not getting mail. He's only supposed to be there for 48 hours. He's got all of these toys. And I, I just always really coveted that moment where he's like, this is your room. Here's your, what does he call it? Remote control wand. Uh huh. And like every toy in the world, it just seemed like, yeah, I'll kick it at NASA. Mm-hmm. But yes, agree. It, it makes no sense at all that she's like just zipping and zapping and bebopping. And if they have a human delivering the mail, what is the purpose of a robot that would fit a human child inside it? <laughs> well, I, so obviously the whole point of the robot is that it has to have a hollow compartment for a child to sneak out of so that he can escape NASA, exactly. you know? And that, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, you know how, like, the you know, that that she is kind of shepherding this robot. You know, it's probably early days. It's kind of like how the, the Waymo, like, self-driving cars have a, a, a human in front just in case. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably she's there to kind of supervise. But um, it's interesting. Like, 
different styles of movie, different types of movies, different genres. And then also by the era, like if this movie was made today, there would be far more human complexity back then in terms of like, you know, the secu- like like the security guards in this movie are bozos who are gambling and and it and then she is like you know um has no problem helping him out and to escape immediately i feel like if it was made today just with us used to these like you know much more complicated complex like tv shows and movies mm-hmm. that we would get a lot more mileage out of her juggling the the decision of do I do I say I'm going to help him and then it shows her talking to her bosses you know it's like yes he's trying to do this or whatever the, you know it's just like the roles that everyone plays in this movie besides being you know a kids movie is just so straightforward yeah. you know it really yeah. is. It, it's no like mystery. The, and I don't think it's entirely at fault of the eighties, because I felt like ET with their scientists had a lot more complexity in terms of, yes, we're kind of the bad guys, but yet we are experiencing this wonder as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I like, I, I never with the scientist in this movie, I never felt um, that they had any empathy for the kid in this movie. Or that I really tapped into any of the point of view of their wonder for... I mean, you kind of get a little bit of their wonder for the spaceship, but I never felt like there was any uh, empathy that the scientists had for um, the kid. Yeah. Well, and they they also don't, like, explore how how it has impacted his family i mean they they mm-hmm. touch on it with the brother but not very much but i mean by this time they've just gotten him back and already like they're looking better like the mom's doing her hair again um mm-hmm. and they're all like being watched there's this funny moment where he calls he calls home to like tell his brother that he's gonna do something this is later and he's like you need to show me where the house is because kid doesn't know where anything is um he, he the mom's like oh keep the line free jeff David might call and this is her subterfuge <laughs> but she's already looking better like she's doing her hair now she's got her son back um, which made me think like at the end when he does choose to like ditch this timeline and go back to his original timeline it does that mean that there's a universe where this mom was then like wait what <laughs> like she just has to go on and be like no my son's alive he's just in space now mm-hmm. and I don't get him back or did that timeline end and they all into nothing. I I think this is, this is way before like multiple timelines. I think they just see this as a very linear um, kind of uh, back to the future one sort of thing to where, you know, the, the people stop existing after he goes back and then the timeline gets rewritten at that point. Okay. All right. Pre pre multiverse theory in terms of pop culture. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, quantum foam yeah. in this world. Uh, so yeah, you're right though. They completely ignore him when they're like discovering that he has all these star charts and all of this like information in, in his brain. They're completely ignoring him when he's like, uh, "Excuse me, what the hell? 
I've never been to Phelan. I don't know what this is. They're completely ignoring him. Um, mm-hmm. But they find that he's got all these like star charts stored in his brain. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, like he is emotionally volatile. Yeah. <laughs> like he, you know, I want to go home. I want to do. It's just these extremes of emotional outbursts, you know, which is like he's a 12 year old kid. Like this is my son's age. Like if my son mm-hmm. like disappeared and came back and I looked like shit and hit, then some doctors were like trying to dig <laughs> things out of his brain. Like I can imagine he'd be screaming a lot. Um mm-hmm. So Sheer Jessica Parker does help him escape and he gets called to the ship, right? He's called to it. It's shiny. It's a walnut. He knows how to get in. Um, mm-hmm. And then we hear the ship talk and we see the ship's little face. Yeah. And it's like a giant light bulb with handles. It just it <laughs> looks exactly like the thing the dentist holds over your face. <laughs> That's what it looks like, but it has a personality, and it has the personality of Paul Rubens. Right. And at first, he's like, you are the navigator, like, and it's very, like, very, like, how? Cold and logical. Yeah. Compliance, right? That's his catchphrase. Compliance. This is a first-class maneuver. Uh, This is a third-class maneuver. Uh, And it wants the star charts in his head. And how did it? get into his head again so he explains that what happened was that when he when he picked up david they were just experimenting he was like i don't know i thought what would wouldn't it be crazy if i put all these all this information into your head you only use 20 percent of your head so the aliens right. were like maybe we can use you like a flash drive and we'll just store you know like johnny mnemonic style we'll just right. store this in the other you know 90 percent of your brain and we'll see what happens. I would have to say my my least favorite like scientific trope is like, oh, we only use 10% of our brain. It's like, oh, you know, it's like, what happens to the other 90%? And it's used as a device to like, you know, to do so much stuff in science fiction. Yeah. And it's so untrue. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just it's it just super. It just annoys me have you to seen- no end. Uh, did you see the movie Lost City that recently came out with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum and Dan mm-hmm. Radcliffe? Mm-hmm. I the best part of that whole the funniest moment to me was when like Brad Pitt, who spoiler for the film The Lost City, sorry everyone, gets shot in the head, but he comes back to life. He's like, "Well, we only use ten percent of our brain, so I just switched to to a different ten percent." <laughs> Oh boy. I loved that movie. Okay, anyway. Uh yeah, so he was like we wanted to see what happened and your brain leaked and that's what happened. And then the um the starship person was like got caught in power lines and that's why he got stranded on Earth. So now he needs to get the star charts back out of David's brain in order to get himself back to Phalon and to return all the little creatures back to their homes. Mm -hmm. So it scans his brain and like, you know, like can happen when you plug in a new USB device to your computer, it, it erases the brain and personality or whatever of the spaceship and imprints David's personality onto that. 
And like we've already had some hijinks up to this point. They've shot up into the sky. They've shot into a field of clouds. They've been under the sea. They have this like slightly antagonistic relationship. But then immediately, as soon as he scans David's brain, we get Pee Wee Herman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, boy, you know, like kids, you know, we make fun of it like anything silly appeals to kids and i remember being really into just anyone who was silly yeah. <laughs> as a kid you know like oh my god this is so cool like he's silly you know uh, it's like i remember like in in crawl there was like this the silly sorcerer you know who kept making mistakes and and re-watching it just being it so grown worthy but i remember it being like the best thing as a kid Agreed. you know uh, and Pee Wee Herman is the silliest of all. He's the silliest there is, you know. And so in this movie, he's not credited as as either, you know, as Paul Rubens. He's credited as Paul Mall because he said he wanted it to be mysterious who the voice <laughs> of the of the spaceship is. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah. it's not mysterious. As soon as you go, ha ha, anyone mm-hmm. who's ever heard of Pee Wee Herman knows exactly who the voice is. Um, mm-hmm. And then it's just this, they're this sort of goof troop team where the spaceship doesn't know how to get home. The kid doesn't know how to get home. And they just are like ha- haphazardly smashing along the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. We find all these creatures. So there's all these like creatures that he has. We get a little moment of like some fun puppets. And of course, a cute uh, marketable pocket-sized creature Mm -hmm. yeah who is the last of his kind and he really treats it roughly (laughs) he He just shoves it into his backpack Uh of all the characters in the movie he's the one that i had the most empathy for like you know he just looked cute and innocent and just wanted to be part of the gang and he gets like like stepped on and like put in his bag and like smooshed accidentally smushed for sure but then there's just sort of nonsense they like oops we're in tokyo oops we're in california oops we're in a field where they like fat shame a guy who's like it was like so shocked by that moment they arrive at a gas station to like ask directions and it's called big al's like alligator hut or whatever so they're like well we must be in florida and big al is like you know, a large man who's just standing there aghast and agog because a, a spaceship has just landed in his mm-hmm. front yard. And immediately the Max, which is the name of the Pee Wee Herman uh, dental light uh, spaceship guy is like, too many Twinkies. Oink, oink, Big Al. It's like, wow. So you learn to be a douchebag? Like what? Thanks to humanity. Yeah. You learn to be petty. And shitty. Um, uh, and yes. They and but there is a cute part. Like I always like the family that's there, like just at the same time, and they're like, "Okay, get in the picture, get in the picture." The dad's talking to Big Al, like, "What's it cost to uh, make something like that float?" It's pretty. Like I thought that family was cute, mm-hmm. and uh, they. So then they get back in the thing and fly away, and the family's like, "What?" And Big Al's like, he needed to phone home. Um, <laughs> Which was pretty good. Yeah. There, there is a dance break because they hear music while they're trying to get directions. And so they do like a Beach Boys dance break, 
which like mm-hmm. of all the music for him to choose as a kid from the 70s, he likes the Beach Boys. Eh, it was pretty popular. Okay. I remember I remember being excited about the Beach Boys in the 80s. OK. Um, yeah. Kokomo was a very popular song. Uh, so then he he has like asked his family to light up the house with fireworks so that he can find it because he can't find it. He doesn't know where they live and he is 12. So he doesn't know directions. Uh, so he gets his brother to set off a bunch of fireworks on the roof. They do. He finds them. And then he's like, you know what? Second thought. I need to go back to 1978. Nathan, do you remember why it was dangerous to go back to 1978? Because I sure don't. Yeah. Yeah, he said, I don't think your species can survive it. <laughs> okay. You know? And so, and then it, it just becomes, no, I need to go back. And that's the whole argument. Because he's getting ready. He's already, it looks like he's ready to come home and assimilate into his new life. And then it's almost like it was a reshoot. Like, he just stops and says, no, I need to go back. And then they, they start up the ship. It flies off. And then they start the process of time travel and yeah that's that's that's, and luckily it worked out because that was the only obstacle yeah well and it you know perhaps it would have been more interesting if he had had to like learn to exist in a world where he just like you know like like got blipped out of eight years of his life like that doesn't mean he can't have a happy life or whatever yeah yeah they just leave he just leaves his family standing there his friends sucked anyway. Like it's not really a huge. It wasn't a huge loss. You can you meet know? new people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, imagine the discoveries, like the new fun stuff you would have. Yeah. Yeah. It. it but it, it's very much kind of like a. How do you end the movie otherwise? Like, you know, you want there to be like a a big effects. Uh, you want them to roll the dice. You want there to be like a, a big effects. Uh, climax and then a reveal and then like oh everything turned out okay and that's exactly what happens like they they fly through this very no. like 80s trapper keeper landscape <laughs> and and that's it like he's like he comes home like there's his family they're like get in the boat it's fireworks time and he's like yay although i do think in the alternate reality like nasa would have kidnapped him for sure and like cracked open his skull and murdered him oh yeah there's no sure. way that wasn't happening <laughs> but he's like back in his like life he says goodbye to Wee herman and like but he kept the cute little squirrel creature yeah and there's a part where he's like He's in the boat and he's like, I love you, mom. And she's like, ew, ew, what's happened to you? (laughs) We're not that kind of family, son. We don't tell each other we love each other. And then he tells his brother he loves him. And they're like, oh, ew, something's wrong with David. And he's like, damn it. It was okay in the 80s. Yep. And that's that's Flight of the Navigator. It was, you know, a a Disney. um, Oh. 80s thing it's it's interesting the movie was actually independent it was an independent movie and it doesn't really surprise me like there aren't like a lot of stars it it is kind of a little in the shadow of of other types of movies like you can see it'd be easier to kind of fundraise for Mm -hmm. kind of reminds me of a never-ending story in that way you know which was like german-based um 
they did make this in America. I think it was Nor- partly Norwegian financing. Yes. But they eventually sold it to Disney. Yep. And Disney released it. Um, and it totally works in Disney's wheelhouse for sure. You know, it doesn't stand it like it doesn't it doesn't have like a foreign film made for America really kind of feeling. It's just that, you know. No, but it has that same like artificial aftertaste like that a Mac and me has, you know, <laughs> where it's like, oh, uh-huh. it, just, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't taste as good as Kraft macaroni and cheese. So you're like, right. this just- it, yeah, it doesn't taste as familiar. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's like RC the RC cola of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's just something about it that doesn't doesn't quite <laughs> sit on the palate exactly as nicely. Um, even as an ET, which felt like a real movie, and this felt like an a TV movie. Um, mm-hmm. but. They say that Disney kept the spaceship in its like boneyard for a long time and then like repurposed it into the top of a drink like hmm. caddy, like a drink section in the middle of the thing. Um, there have been a million attempts to reboot this and it's mm-hmm. happening again. It's it's happening again. They're going to reboot it with uh, Bryce Dallas Howard uh, directing a gender swapped version which okay like i'm interested like does it take place in yeah i hope there's yeah i hope there's yeah it's a a gender swap is not enough newness to take on the story again you would need to kind of like develop in a certain direction something else you know like it needs it needs it needs one more thing yeah you know or to lean in harder on something that exists already Right. Agree. You know, like it's already got two things going on, two big things going on for it, like being the, bo- the, the, the boy out of time and then being the 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 brain, the navigator for this ship, you know, and you just kind of lean in a little harder into one of those other two ideas well but i have a feeling though that the the path of least resistance the easiest thing to do is to like try and capture the audience of you know 80s moms like me and have it be like oh i'm teaching a spaceship to you know 2022 slang and Mm -hmm. or night i'm teaching i'm teaching it 90s slang because i'm a 90s kid who ended up in the 2000s or whatever. Wait. Yeah. What was it how, years ago from humans. now? Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, were we, was that pre-COVID? I can't. I can't remember. I remember. Yeah. 2016. Uh, it doesn't even seem like it was any different than now. Yeah, that's true. It, it's so funny. Like, it just in terms of, of time, like, watching these movies, like, I can tell a distinct difference between 83 and 86 in terms of watching these movies, you know, in terms of like the storytelling and the technology. But I cannot tell you the difference between 2022 and 2016. Yeah. Like I just don't have the uh, the perspective on it. That's true. And I can tell the difference between the 90s and the 2000s. I can tell the difference between the early 2000s and the late 2000s. But like once you get past 2010, like I don't feel like anything is distinct. And I'm sure that that's not true. And it's just like my 40 year old brain can't Mm -hmm. take in subtlety anymore. I don't know. That's that's why it takes like 20, 25 years to have perspective on a decade. 
Yeah. You know, that then you start some things that you start boxing and not only are ours like, oh, my God, those hairs and the hairstyle is now so different from our own. But you also start boxing things into the 80s, which also probably existed in some degree in the 70s or the 90s. Of you course, know? of course. It's like, oh, that's so 80s. Well, it's also, you know, people wore those shirts. It's true. And after. there is a whole like series of marketing things that are like oh this is an eight this is for your 80s party and they'll put Mm -hmm. in like playstation controllers and game boys and i'm like Mm -hmm. get get your game boy out of here that was like 1989 and so we didn't have those until the 90s yeah i i didn't have one until like 93 or something like that or 94 yeah and and certainly not a playstation controller like we didn't Mm -hmm. like there was a sega genesis like we didn't it had had to be at least four years old for us to have something like that right we didn't I, i i we didn't have like a vcr until 87 Right. Or 88, you know. Um, I think that they just, the people who are making these things don't know the difference between like an old school Nintendo controller that's square <laughs> and terrible and like, you know, the fancy round things that we eventually got. So on a scale of one, uh, haha, I didn't even know, one one little creature who can't go back to his home world, who, <laughs> who now you own, uh-huh. to, to 10 cute little space creatures that you now have as a pet what's uh how many cute space creatures i think i'm gonna have to give it a six space creatures which both seems low and both seems high Mm. you know like it's you know like i enjoyed this movie as a as a youngin more than a six and probably experienced it more as a five as an adult and so i'm kind of splitting the difference mm, i hear you yeah i so i give it slightly more i give it a 6.5 because it's not quite a seven you know seven is mannequin like this is a joy <laughs> this is a yes. pleasure i want to show this to everyone ever and be like can you believe this look mm-hmm. at just look at it right this was i didn't enjoy it but i must give it respect <laughs> yeah but it, but i did like i felt like it went down easy like i felt like it was easy to watch mm-hmm. it was easy to like have on yeah and as opposed to the movie that we're doing next which <laughs> felt like interminable and torturous <laughs> this was easy peasy and like you know my kids have seen it and they're just like yeah huh, take it or leave it so I, I give it slightly more than you. I give it a 6.5 because I thought it was fun. And I thought that the 80s graphics and stuff were were cute mm-hmm. and cozy. Yeah, And we didn't even really talk about like the visual effects. Like this was kind of like a very early um, version of like the, the T-1000 like liquid metal VFX, which was r- really novel at the time. It was a big deal. You know, like they did a really cool job with the kind of like uh liquid metal style spaceship on this yeah the idea they could shift forms and uh that was really cool and they definitely deserve props for it yes i did think that was very cool i thought all i thought the practical effects were really neat too i really liked that we had some muppets you know give me some practical effect muppets in there just as like a palette cleanser mm-hmm. i thought they were very cute i love the inside of the ship which was practical and like all built out of aluminum that it was very neat and even though i couldn't get over the fact that the face of the thing looked like the dentist light i thought it was fun character like because it was mm-hmm. the voice of Pee Wee herman i immediately wanted to like it 
So I thought it was, I, for all of those reasons, I think it's a fun watch. And I think it would be a fun, like, if you were to, like, put this up and be like, oh, Flight of the Navigator movie party, like, wear your NASA <laughs> hat and come on down. Like, I think people would have a fun time because it's just easy. There's nothing challenging about this movie. It's true. You know, I like um, your RC Cola comment i feel like that's the most apt for this experience and you can definitely have a good time it's like a daytime watch you know i wouldn't put it at the as as the uh, the headliner of the act but um it's a good time yeah agreed so uh do you have a deep cut recommendation i i sort of have one um why don't you go first okay so I want to, I was sort of struck by the like relationship between the like robotic entity, the time dilation, and uh, it reminded me of Lightyear. So even though the connections are very like tangential, you know, what better way to have a deep cut recommendation? But I think if you like Flight of the Navigator and you like you know, not being that challenged and just enjoying a spaceship and robots and time dilation, then go see Lightyear. I really enjoyed it. And I think that it's great for adults and kids. And they do they do mention Pixar in the movie. They go something about the Pixar system. And so go see Pixar's Lightyear. It's a great movie. Well, I'm grasping at straws here and uh, <laughs> for a recommendation. Um, I was trying to like, do I go for like, do I go for cute alien creature? Do I go for, you know, um, Paul Rubin's maybe? Paul Rubin. I, I think ultimately like the, the thing that is most distinctive, it's not obviously like the, the, the poster, Dis- the distinction on the poster or anything like that, but it's the whole time dilation. Like he time traveled, not because they went through and got some space whales and went around the sun. Like he, <laughs> they, the, the ship, the ship like literally went nearly the speed of light. And then basically just by traveling, they did, it was time dilation and they advanced eight years in the future, mm-hmm. um, which the, the adult version of that is interstellar. That's like that to me, that's the most interesting, compelling movie that has kind of broached the idea that time is relative depending on the concept of time dilation. You know, in Interstellar, they um, they go down to a planet that is orbiting a black hole. And so the time dilation is so severe that they go down for like an hour or so. And it's and it's years it's like it's like 26 years or something like that. I'm getting all these numbers incorrect, but yeah. but the whole idea is that um, there the relative between um, the speed of light affects how we experience time. Mm-hmm. And so basically Matthew McConaughey, um, you know his, his daughter is like 16 and um, he goes down to the planet, comes back and his daughter is older than him. Yikes. Um, yeah. And so that is, and there's no way to get that back, you know? <laughs> and so, and then what he, he watches the logs of her now his age and he is just, it, the tears stream down. And so just on, on the subject of that, if you, if, <laughs> if this movie, if Light of the Navigators get you so excited about time dilation, 
The Interstellar is the perfect deep cut recommendation. Oof, oof. Yeah, you're you're describing the one where like whereas Flight of the Navigator didn't delve into any of the big prickly questions that it, it that it put forward. Interstellar mm-hmm. is just those prickly questions. This yeah, it, it is making a meal. Yeah. Well, that's I think that was great. Um an excellent recommendation. Where can people, I'm assuming that someone is here for the very first time and doesn't know where they can find Nathan Blackwell and support <laughs> his art, um, uh, where should they go? Um, yeah, so uh, our, our films and other projects are on squishystudios.com, um, a super manly um, production company name, mm-hmm. uh, but one that I'm sticking with. Um, so yeah, squishystudios.com. Um, you can see uh, most everything we've done on YouTube uh, under Squishy Studios as well, including our, our web series Voyage Trekkers and um, our uh, our uh, feature film, The Last Movie Ever Made. Um, uh, we're doing a poor job of uh, putting stuff like that on the website, but um, the, the, the Facebooks um, and the, uh, the Instagrams um, uh, have uh, updates on the project. Excellent. Uh, and you can find me on the interwebs at Most Excellent Chrissy and Most Excellent Pod. Um, please like us on on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Uh, share us with a friend. It really, really is is uh, the most helpful thing you can do if you enjoy us. We're just two crazy kids out here trying to make it happen. So help us out. <laughs> Throw us a five-star review. Throw us a... Uh, a, a like on those Instagrams. Mm-hmm. Um, it really does make a difference. And uh, this month, this past month, we've had the most listens we've ever had in a single month. So uh, you're doing it, kids. Please continue helping us out. Thank you for your support. Thank you for, for hanging out with us. Um, we get no money making this podcast. Um, it's just something that we do for fun and we're glad that other people, uh, have fun, uh, listening. Exactly. So on that note, with our appreciation to you, uh, make sure that when you're out there in the world, you remember the most excellent eighties movies podcast motto, please be excellent to each other and party, party on, on dudes. dudes. <laughs>